Okay, so this was a little bit of a, not a plot twist, but this episode was only 45 minutes. If you will remember, this is part two of the season premiere. So the first episode, Oil, was an hour and 30 minutes. This episode was 45 minutes, and they did a really great job of thickening up the story a little bit. Okay, so the wedding, much to my surprise, goes off without incident. Crystal is looking lovely. She wears like this blazer wedding dress, which I, I don't know if that was in vogue or not at the time, but she looked really good. Uh, she walks down the aisle. She stares lovingly into Blake's eyes and he does the same for her. And they, I mean, it's a really, it's a beautiful wedding. Steven, and if you remember in the last episode, he and his father had just talked for the first time in a very long time and he outed him. I don't know. I wouldn't say that he outed him, but he, Blake admitted that he knew about Steven's preference. And so Stephen, much to my surprise, he attends a wedding, but it just kind of shows how much respect that they have for he and Fallon have for their father. So yeah, the wedding goes off pretty much without a hitch. Now it starts to get really interesting in the next scene, because this is the first time that all of the Carringtons are assembled as a family. We have Blake, we have Crystal, the newly minted Mrs. Carrington, Fallon and Stephen. They're in the garden and they're, they're all greeting the wedding guests. Now, the wedding guest is a usual suspect, exactly who you would expect to be at a wealthy um, elite wedding. You've got old money. You've got some of Carrington's partners. You have senators, you name it. Now, Crystal is much more, she seems much more present at this time. I mean, it's her wedding day, so she's super happy. She's delicately greeting all of the guests. Luckily for her, you know, most of the people are old and rich. Some of her friends from work show up, but while they're meeting everyone, Fallon fills Crystal in on some tea. Now, one of the wedding guests, a partner of Carrington's, I believe, or maybe he worked on a staff. I'm not really sure. This guy strangled his wife with a pair of pantyhose and Blake Carrington paid a million dollars to have him acquitted. Right after this, three football players from the team that Blake Carrington owns show up. And it's so bizarre because they all, you know, they see Fallon and it's, hey, and each one of them, like they greet her as if they're her lover. They kiss her. It's And it's not like a peck on the cheek. It's like super passionate. Each one of them gives her a passionate kiss and you just kind of start to see that, you know, Crystal's looking at Fallon like, okay, I see you, but it is what it is. Fallon gives her the tea on most of the guests as they show up. So, after a little bit more mixing and mingling, the guy that Blake wanted to set Fallon up with shows up. Now he is Cecil Colby, who is Blake's adversary. He is his nephew. Nephew Jeff. So Jeff is super cute and you can tell right away that he has a crush on Fallon. Um, Cecil, who is Jeff's uncle, is watching a few yards away. She, he's listening to the conversation that Fallon and Jeff are having. And it's very clear. Fallon is not... She's, a, she's like her own person. Jeff approaches her and he starts discussing how oil companies, he wants to bring in a new 
era. He wants to bring in an era where oil companies are a bit more responsible and maybe a little bit more apologetic. I guess you would call him an apologetic. Fallon does not see this as something that needs to happen. She's perfectly fine being wealthy. She's like, I'm not ashamed of this. We're funding this country. She gives this kind of boisterous speech. And you can see where Jeff is. He's not necessarily turned off, but he's taken aback. Like, oh my God, this is a, this woman knows what she wants. But meanwhile, Uncle Cecil is watching in the wings and he is totally enamored with Fallon from this point on. This is the first time you get to see also, it's pretty clear that Fallon should be the next in line. If Blake is looking for someone to take over the company, she obviously would be perfect, but Blake is very old school. He doesn't believe in letting women or any other other be in charge of his company. So it's somehow... Somehow he and Fallon end up upstairs in the pool room and he is, you know, he's making his move. He's letting her know she's, she's sharp witted, she's intelligent and that he'd like her to run one of his companies. Well, he makes the mistake of asking whether or not she'd want to run like a, a makeup company or something else. And she explains to him, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. So Jeff is still looking for Fallon during all of this commotion and he stumbles upon Stephen in the library. Stephen's obviously having a really bad day. He hasn't spoken to anyone about what him, he and his father spoke about, but it, it seems like it's a combination of their conversation and his father being married to someone new. Jeff uh, comes in and he, of course he asks for Fallon and he sees it, that Stephen is visibly in duress and he asks if he's okay. And he's just like, listen, dude, my mom got remarried. It'll be okay. You'll get over it. Stephen then, um, I can't remember what they say, but Jeff begins, you know, a little bit of small talk. He decides to stop looking for Fallon temporarily and speak to Stephen about his current state of affairs. So Jeff asks Stephen about uh, work. Like, what are you doing for work now? And Stephen basically quotes Oscar Wilde and he says, work is a curse of the drinking class. Jeff recognizes this quote. And unfortunately, he's like, well, too bad. You know, it's a beautiful quote. Too bad Oscar Wilde was a homosexual. Now, Stephen is still reeling like he's having a crap day. This just isn't the right time. But Stephen, instead of outing himself he just quickly rebuttals and says too bad we can't burn them all at the stake like in the good old days and jeff is like whoa like dude that's not funny that's not even why would you say something like that that's not funny that's even too far for a joke steven seems very surprised by this and um he asks jeff well what would you do what would you do if your brother wanted to marry one and Jeff was like, as long as he's not poor, like, I don't care. So this, this loosens Steven up a little bit. And, you know, he and Jeff start having a little bit of small talk and Steven gets right to it. He's like, dude, why are you so dead set on Fallon? You haven't seen her since she was like nine years old. What is this new obsession? And Jeff says to Steven, well, do you love her? And Steven's like, of course I love her. It's my sister. And Jeff's like, well, then you understand why I love her too. Meanwhile, back at Matthew's house, Matthew is, it's like it's morning. So he's at the table. He's making breakfast for he and his daughter and his daughter's reading the newspaper. Crystal and Blake's pictures are splashed all over the front page because of course the wedding is that day. Now for the first time, 
you see that Matthew is visibly upset at the news of the marriage. Like he actually shows some emotion while he's staring at the paper. So much emotion, in fact, that he doesn't hear that his daughter is talking to him. So after they have their quick breakfast, Matthew heads upstairs to check on his wife, Claudia. And if you remember, Miss Claudia just, I'm not going to say she escaped, but she's no longer in the mental asylum. She was working at a diner when Stephen and, excuse me, when Matthew and their daughter showed up and convinced her to come home. So he goes upstairs and he thought that Claudia had been sleeping through breakfast, but she's actually just been up and upset. And they they go on to have this really poignant conversation where Claudia tries, she's expressing that she fills a void between them. And she's, she's like, you know, I'm a woman, you're a man. I'm, while I was in the insane asylum the whole time, I was totally only thinking about you. I just don't think that's true of you and me. Like, I don't think you were thinking about me while I was gone. And Matthew is, I think he's just still super distracted. He still doesn't say a lot. He's giving a lot more dialogue this episode, but it's clear that he's distracted by the news of the wedding. So he pretends to, um, oh no, 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 no. She explained, Claudia explains that every day she would think about him in the insane asylum, but all she can fill now is the void between them. And so he offers to make her feel like a grown woman, because after all, he is a grown man. She declines his offer because it's like, I'm trying to tell you something you don't get it. He doesn't get it. I don't know if it's just that's his nature or he's so distracted. He doesn't understand that she's like, I can tell you're somewhere else. She's not saying that. We need to be more physical. She's simply saying, I can tell that you're not here. I fill the void. So he pretends to need to go and get groceries and he leaves. And where he goes is very interesting. He goes to the hillside where, if you'll remember in last episode, Crystal asked him to meet her there. He goes back to that same hillside and he's just kind of brooding and, you know, going through it because obviously he misses Crystal. So back at the wedding, right after Crystal, excuse me, that Fallon has tried to drown Michael in the tub, everyone goes downstairs, everyone goes outside to, it's about that time where the bride and groom are going to get in their car and go away. It's right before Crystal throws a bouquet. So all of the wedding guests, if you'll picture it, the actual home, the actual mansion is within the walls of, it's, it's within the walls. So everyone is outside of the gate in order to see the bride and groom go away. So Crystal grabs her bouquet and she throws it, but you can tell she's she's throwing it right to Fallon. Fallon obviously doesn't want to be married, so she kind of halfway catches it and then she tosses it to Stephen, which only adds insult to injury because everyone begins laughing at him and it's like he's just sulking even more. Like Stephen's having a really, really hard day, but... After that, it finally pops off. Now, this has taken so long that I had actually forgotten about this part. I'd totally forgotten about this part from the last episode because, I mean, literally the wedding's done. Fallon's making plans. Stephen has found a new friend. Jeff, who's a nephew, is looking for... Like, there's so much that's happened. But suddenly, or should I say finally... Walter Lankersham, the mustachioed scoundrel from the episode before, comes flying 
up their super long driveway. He narrowly, he almost hits one of the guards as he, you know, flies through the gate in his Jeep. He does this half sort of donut twist. Mind you, everyone is outside the gate. They're waiting to usher off Blake and Crystal. Well, Lankership flies in there. He's kicking up dust and rocks and gravel and all this on these rich people. And he makes his grand entrance, comes to a screeching halt and exits the vehicle. He's furious. He's so mad. He's just really waiting. He wants to go off on Blake. And judging by this super swanky wedding and super long driveway, he's had enough time to come up with a good speech. So he basically calls Blake insecure. He tells Blake, you won't be satisfied until you're richer than Colby, who, as if you were, if you can remember, is about to sneak off with Fallon. And Colby, you won't be rich enough. You won't be satisfied until you're richer than God. So Walter declares to both of them, I'm going to be bigger than both of you. Now, if you can, you can understand. Imagine if this was you. This is your wedding day. And some guy comes flying up your driveway, reads you for filth in front of all. Of I, I just can't get over the fact that this all goes down in front of all the wedding guests. And Blake is clearly embarrassed, but he's still a distinguished gentleman. Nonetheless, he does the two most reasonable and noble things that a gentleman of his class and privilege would do. First, he scoffs, he gaslights, and he denies anything. Oh my, I, I, I didn't. Walter, you're crazy. I can't believe you would say that to me. How dare you? I can't do anything to your rig. I didn't touch you. And then he does the most reasonable thing I've ever seen on network television. He sicks the dog. <laughs> he sicks the dogs on Walter. Literally, he sicks like a small pack of dogs on him in front of the wedding guests. Now, I have been to some events where really crazy things have happened. I've never seen a dog attack anyone. And I've certainly never seen a crowd watch something like that and then go back to eating and drinking as if nothing happened. So the wedding crowd seems to be certainly satisfied with this. They just kind of go back into the gate and they begin drinking the champagne and eating the food they RSVP'd for. So while Walter's being drug off by um, no longer the dogs, the dogs have gone, it's mostly... Blake's goons who are dragging him off to the carriage house. Uh, Fallon and Cecil decide they're just going to leave. And Stephen reprises his role as a family sleuth and follows the goons to the carriage house where they proceed to quote unquote question Walter. So back at Blaisdell's house to say that the tension is thick would be an understatement that this, the tension in that house is thick enough to cut. It's clear that Matthew and his daughter are tiptoeing around Claudia. And I have my own thoughts about that, but let's just, let's finish the story and then we'll get to that. So it's clear that at some point, Claudia had asked their daughter to clear the breakfast from the table. She's interrupted somehow by the doorbell ringing, like incessantly, just ding, 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 ding. Somebody is really just laying on it. So she walks past her daughter who's on the phone. Claudia, that is. Claudia walks past her daughter who's chatting on the phone, being a typical teenager, just ignoring everything. And she goes to the door and it's these two Bible thumping ladies who are kind of, you know, they're being snooty. So she excuses herself. She goes in the kitchen and she sees that none of the breakfast has been cleared. And it's been over an hour since she asked her daughter to do it. So she goes to the room where her daughter is and she's like, hey, get off the phone. So, you know, your dad might be trying to call. I thought that was so funny because 
I legit, okay, if you are a zillennial or an older millennial, you'll remember that there was a small little window of time where if you picked up the phone and you went to call someone and they were on the line, it would just be busy and there was nothing you can do about it. You just wait and call again later. It was so funny to remember that that was a thing because I, I remember being a little kid like in elementary when call waiting came out. So her saying that was hilarious. And I was like, wow, yeah, that was really a thing. Anyway, so teenage girl finally hangs up the phone and she goes to pick up the dishes from the breakfast that she was supposed to pick up over an hour ago and proceeds to drop and break them. I guess she's nervous. I don't know if she's nervous because she thinks her mom's going to snap or she's just nervous because like she's a teenager and she didn't do the thing her mom told her to do. Well, of course, Claudia, the mother gets a little bit upset and the girl runs off and, you know, you can just see it on Claudia's face. She's like, oh my God, I made the wrong move. But it's, I, I thought to myself, like, that's typical. I wouldn't even blink twice at that. She'll get over it. All right. So Claudia proceeds to just pick up the dishes herself and start to clean the house when Matthew comes home. No sooner than he walks in, does the phone ring. He goes and he answers the phone and wait, before he answers the phone, he notices the broken dishes on the ground. And for some reason, Claudia doesn't say that the daughter does it. She, she makes a comment that, um, oh, you would think that waitressing for this long, I'd be able to stack dishes, but it's, it's very tense. It's, it's just very uncomfortable to watch. And you can tell everyone in the house is super nervous. So Blaisdell answers the phone, Matthew answers the phone. And it's Stephen on the other line. And he's telling him about the events of the day and that, hey, dude, you saved me one time. I hope I'm doing you a favor. You need to get over here. Your boy's getting it. Okay, so Matthew jumps in his car and he races to the Carrington house. Now, Matthew gets there much, much quicker than Walter ever did. He gets there and he goes straight. Uh, he, he he meets Stephen at the gate. That's right. Stephen's there to usher him in. Stephen jumps in the car and he directs him over to the carriage house where uh, Blake Carrington's goons, three of them, are beating the brakes off of Walter. Now, if you remember last episode... Matthew jumped off the back of a truck and fought four soldiers. So this was nothing to him. He jumped right in the fight. He starts fighting, blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, Blake Carrington and his lawyer walk into the carriage house and demand that these men stop. Stop this fighting. This is ridiculous. Now, Blake, he's such an interesting person. I cannot wait to see who he turns out to be because it's easy to assume he's going to be the villain. But it's like, is he the villain or is he just taking care of business? He asks, uh, he asks that they stop fighting. So Blake is kind of going on about, you know, how dare you do this on my wedding day? You're being ridiculous. I didn't do anything. And Matthew is not having, he's like, no, did you sabotage his rig or no? Now Blake kind of avoids a question and he's like, well, maybe I did. Maybe I didn't, but I'll tell you what I'll do. Walter, I'll do you a favor. Even though you embarrass me, even though you tried to ruin my wedding, I'm going to do you a solid. I'm going to buy your company from you. I'm going to buy your land. I think it's 100 acres or so. I'm going to buy it for about $300,000 and I'll give you 2% of the profit. Again, Matthew is not having it. He's like, dude, answer the question. Did you do it or no? Before he can answer, Walter, who's been embarrassed, he's been attacked by dogs. He's been, the brakes have been beat off him. 
And they must have beat away his dignity because he's like, yeah, I'll sell it to you. And Matthew's like, dude, no, you can't do this. This is your one chance. I thought you wanted to have something for yourself. So the reaction I thought that, um, that his mustachioed friend gave was a good point. He's like, Matthew, don't you work for him? Like, what do you care if I have it or not? Walter, that's his name. Sorry, I blinked for a second. Walter. Yes, he asks Matthew, why do you care? You don't work, you you work for him. So what difference does it make to you? And at this point, I think it's just gotten to Matthew. It's like, you're marrying my girl. You're beating up my friend. My wife's not into me. I'm totally distracted. I'm just, this isn't a good day for me. And so he he looks over at Walter and he's like, I'll help you. I'll help you. And Blake, um, Blake says, you know, don't you forget who you work for, Matthew. You work for me. Well, of course, he's a cowboy. He's a rugged guy. Matthew's like, no, I work for him now. So he quits right there on the spot. And right about this time, Crystal makes her way to the carriage house. You know, this poor girl, she thought she was just going to get married and go on a honeymoon. But a lot has a lot has happened in the last 20 minutes. So she shows up to the carriage house and she sees Matthew. She Not only does she see Matthew, it's important to realize she saw her husband sick dogs on a man. She saw Matthew show up. She can tell that there's been a fight, but she's just like, she's staring at Matthew. She's not even looking at Blake. And he looks over at her and he's, you know, he's actually showing way more emotion at this point. And he, he says, I hope you're happy, Chris. And I'm like, Chris, really? We have pet names? Chris, he says this in front of Blake. And Blake immediately says, you know what? She's going to be. And the episode's in. It was a little short, but I really like how it ended. And I can't really wait for the next one. Um, I'm hoping, I don't, I don't want to have too many predictions because if I think about this, even though there's two episodes, this is the premiere. This is them setting up the story. And the first episode was a bit of a slow burn, but I can appreciate that. Living in 2021, I think we get a lot of information really quickly. So it's, I'm having to adjust to like the slow reveal. It may not even be that slow, but to me, it's a bit slower than what I'm used to. I don't want to make too many predictions, but I'll say it was enjoyable to watch Fallon. I feel like she's giving me Beth Dutton. For anyone who watches Yellowstone, she's definitely got that vibe. And I I, I can't wait to see how that, um, how that character grows. I'm still banking on Steven either snapping at some point. And going against his dad, it seems like he'd be the best person, actually. Don't want to make too many predictions, but I do feel like he will be in cahoots at least a little bit with Matthew and Walter. And let's see. I would like to see a little more depth with Crystal, but again, it's only the second episode. We're going to see what happens when they go on their honeymoon. I hope I'll talk to you guys next week. Have a great one and be good.